Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. There's a book out from the University of Utah Press, Hope, Heart, and the Humanities. The book tells how Venture, a free interdisciplinary college humanities course inspired by the National Clemente course, has opened doors for hundreds of students who faced barriers to attending college. Here's quoting one Venture course graduate from here in Utah, who says, Not long ago I had given in to the thought that my life was a waste, pretty much finished. I had no life. I didn't think I was capable of going to school, much less ever being a productive or creative human being. Though I knew, uh, no, I have quite a struggle ahead of me, the Venture course has given me a sense of capability again, and maybe there's a reason to live. I believe that it's never too late to be what you could have been. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, one of the authors of the book, uh, Gene Cheney, who is a former associate director at Utah Humanities. I retired from that post after 20 years in uh, May. Also an adjunct faculty member at Westminster College. Gene Cheney, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be with us. Um, running through this book is a premise, the importance of the vital importance of the humanities. In fact, the dedication for those who champion the humanities as though our future depends on it. Um, I wonder, just at the start here, uh, humanities does come under some uh, attack. Um, uh, National Endowment for Humanities is cut out of the president's proposed uh, budget, for example. Some people say we we just need to focus on, you know, essential skills to get jobs. You know, um, I know that that argument, and I think that the book shows that the humanities are the ultimate practical education because it empowers people to find a voice, develop that voice, be able to articulate ideas, and problem solve. And there's no human endeavor, certainly no career, that doesn't make use of those skills. But beyond that, the humanities helps people connect with the, with the much larger world and understand their place in it. Um, interestingly, in this week's Atlantic uh, Monthly, there's a wonderful article called The Surprising Power of, quote, a Useless Liberal Arts Education, and that the argument made by the author, George Anders, is exactly what, what argument we try to make in this book, that um, the liberal arts should never be regarded as education for the elite. Um, it is education for all of us because it provides exactly what all of us need, and that is the power to use our minds. What if you tell us a little bit about the genesis, as I understand it, of a venture in, in Utah, and that's a, uh, a conference you went to, and you heard uh, the, the, uh, the writer Earl Shores describe work he had done. Yes, I, I was at a conference. I had just joined Utah Humanities. I was a total novice. I wasn't even clear on what um, state humanities councils did. And I heard Earl Shores in Washington speak about this new course that had begun in New York City and that was spreading to other states in the country um, that basically introduced the what, what's, again, been considered an elite education, philosophy, art history, literature, history, to people off the street, people who had been in prison, people who had been homeless. And he was talking about what happened as a result. And I think even he was su- surprised, even amazed, at, at what the students were telling him um, were, was the impact of this course, which was to change their lives. They um, suddenly realized that they were part of a much bigger story and that they could 
make a difference in that story. Um, so I, I was listening, and as a former college teacher, I thought, I want to do this. I think this should be everywhere. I think this course should be offered everywhere. And so I, I came back to Utah with, with that inspiration. I want to read just the, this uh, paragraph. This, this really blew me away. Um, the Clemente course wasn't his idea, talking about uh, Earl Shores, you write. He had been visiting Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in New York, sitting in a circle with inmates, discussing family violence and other issues related to poverty. When he asked the woman sitting next to him, Nisi Walker, why people are or stay poor, she replied, because we lack the moral life of downtown. And you write, Shores was taken aback. Was she referring to religion? We don't have plays or concerts or lectures, uh, Walker explained. We don't have these in our lives. Oh, you mean the humanities, Shores asked. She looked at me as if I were an idiot and said, yeah, Earl, I mean the humanities. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, I, the, that was the story he recounted that day in, in the conference I attended, and he's recounted many times since. Um, the insight that she shared with him uh, was that um, people who have had difficult lives, really stormy lives or, or lives shaped by poverty, uh, lack uh, are, are really um, vulnerable to a lot of forces outside themselves. And they don't have the, the education, they often don't have the education to counteract those forces. And the forces of poverty are great. And instead of empowering people who are poor with the ability to um, take more control of their lives, we relegate them to remedial classes or we, we don't, we make uh, college very difficult for them. So they never have the chance to develop their ability to use their minds and, and they have powerful minds. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the lessons of this course has been for all of us who teach in it or have any connection with it to realize, wow, what, what potential there is out there of people who've never had a chance to sit in a college classroom or, for that matter, a really good high school classroom and be challenged to use their minds. And what Nisi meant by the moral life of downtown really had to do with um, moral philosophy, asking questions and and digging for answers, not taking the superficial answer that our culture often provides. And uh, this really gets people excited. Shoris, according to your book, uh, reports that... Uh, uh, the, the the class the members the would continue these discussions quoting him they would stand out in the snow and ice after class still arguing about the ideas brought up during the discussions I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the Clemente uh, course what what Shores did well he um, designed a course around five subjects that are core to the liberal arts and have been since the Middle Ages and they include literature. Um, writing or what was known as rhetoric, which is development of the ability to be persuasive in writing, art history, the study of, of visual arts, um, history, and philosophy. And that, that forms the core of all Clemente courses, including the version that we've developed in Utah, the Venture course. Those five subjects are taught over the course of a year, and each one of them given the same amount of time. Um, the courses occur in the evening, and they involve um, prim- primarily discussion. He, he set out a template that we have followed, and I am very grateful for it because it has really um, proved to work, and that is that the emphasis is on discussion. 
There is no professor lecturing in the class. There are no textbooks. There are um, primary sources, art, essays, poems, short stories, um, philosophical writings. And, um, and the, the teacher and the students wrestle with them together. And that's, that forms the core of what happens. A lot of writing, but no tests. So students develop their ability to, develop, to um, express themselves orally and, and also to develop their ability to listen to others, and as well as on paper. And it's a, a long but exciting and, and not easy journey. These are critical skills, of course, and I, I think uh, those of us who've, who've not been in, in poverty in this way maybe discount uh, the, the, the lack of these skills, right, because, because we, we have them. I want to read uh, just another little portion. This is where you quote from uh, Shoris book as a weapon in the hands of the restless poor. Um, and, and he'd go out listening to, he, he thought it important to go out to uh, talk to the experts on poverty, the, the poor themselves, those who had been poor, right? Um, and he says that uh, from talking with the poor, came to understand that people living in poverty are surrounded by forces they have little control over. Racism, poor schools, dilapidated housing, ugliness, noise, etc., etc. This was interesting to me. These forces, he says, keep them from being political. That is, engaging in activity with other people at every level. Um, and I, I hadn't made that connection until I read this. Right. And he really is meaning political in a very large sense. Way more than voting or even in engaging in political discourse. It's um, the ability to entertain or engage in discussions with others in your community about issues that matter to you, that are important to you. And because uh, we do not, in, in our culture, um, or rather not that we do not, but that poor people do not have access to higher education, they often just don't develop these skills. And they, even more importantly, they don't realize how um, significant they are um, to their lives. And after this course, they use words like empowered and optimistic and ambitious and engaged to describe themselves, whereas in um, sort of pre- venture course, they, they use words like afraid, depressed, not hopeful about the future to talk about themselves. So we have lots of evidence that they emerge from the course much more um, aware of what is going on around them and much more interested in it. So in that sense, they become political. And one, I guess you could call it a metric, um, although you're not using it this way, one outcome from the the course, I think you as instructors have been pleased to see letters to the editor from venture graduates. Yeah, yeah. right. Letters. We've had people run for office, um, develop their own nonprofit, a community garden on the west side of Salt Lake City. So the measures for success of this course are not simply those who continue on in education, of which there are many, but there are other ways that um, people use this education to change their lives. And that's what we look at. Um, for example, I taught a student who was probably one of the best writers I've ever taught, and I've taught in a lot of institutions around the country, and he was, he was just remarkable. And he said, you can go on to college. And he applied to Westminster College, got a, a scholarship. He was all set to go, and then decided not to go. 
And I didn't hear from him for a while, but then he wrote me a letter and he said, I know you were disappointed, but for me, having a young daughter that I'm still supporting, college wasn't quite ready. I I, I wasn't quite ready for college, but I want you to know that I've gotten a promotion at my, my work and I'm now considered the writer for my company. And so that's an example of someone who, who didn't even know of the talent that he had or the ability that he had. And he, he's putting it to use, and he got a nice promotion. Uh, you write in, the, uh, in Chapter 1, uh, imagining how you would bring the Kamundi course and will, uh, to Utah and became the Venture Course. We'll talk about that as we go along. But uh, you have this provocative sentence. We might discover for the first time what the humanities could really do. What's your what's your take on that now, having gone through, I don't know how many years of the venture course? I, mean, I imagine you have many examples of what the communities can do. We do. Um, we're actually starting our 13th year, so we have, we have lots of stories and lots of examples, and it's really the students have taught us. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we, we all grew up with books in our lives and ideas and talked around, about um, issues around the dining room table. So this was, we took it for granted. What the students have shown us is that um, they don't take it for granted. They are um, totally changed by the experience. And that sounds like such a large claim to make for a single college course. And I would very much hesitate to make it if I hadn't seen it happen over and over again and have students tell us I'm, I'm not the same person that I was when I started this course. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the students we've taught, we taught, it was actually, she was in our first year. She had been homeless with three children. She had um, been escaped a very abusive uh, family relationship. And she lived in a car with her three children. She said she heated burritos on the radiator of her car. Um, she had lupus, and she was getting some disability money for that. And one child worked at Wendy's and um, was able to bring in a little money from that. But she said, I, I just had felt like I'd taken myself out of, out of humanity. I felt so low. I felt so much I didn't belong anywhere. And, um, and she took this course. She heard about it through her church, her Lutheran church, and she took the course and she discovered, of all things, art history. And she realized, wow, I, I can recognize the history of, of thought and mankind, um, humankind, and the buildings around me in Salt Lake City. I can recognize Greek columns. I, I don't have to feel like I, I don't belong. And that, that may seem really strange to someone listening to this, that, that a homeless person could feel so changed and so empowered by a study of, of a, a subject that may strike someone as nice to have, but certainly not essential, our history. But she was. And from the venture course, she went on um, eventually to Salt Lake Community College. Her, one of her children, her daughter, took the course, also went on to Salt Lake Community College, and then to um, UVU. So I, I, I'm sort of in awe. I, I still, after 13 years, I'm still in awe of the power of this course. And all I can say is that it's been demonstrated. It's been shown over and over again that um, these subjects 
speak to people and empower them in ways that math and science simply do not. Mm. Math and science are terrific tools for understanding our world and um, and empowering us to solve problems in our world, but they tend not to change how one thinks of themselves and their their connections to the world, and and the humanities do. Yes, and as you were telling that story, and I, you know, I think people are nodding their heads, but it also totally violates conventional wisdom, at least in some circles, that a woman sure. homeless living in her car, art history is right. not what we should be doing for her. No, no, we, we should be teaching her job skills. And ironically, these students are able to get better jobs eventually than if we taught them, you know, computer skills. or And it's not to discount those. Those are all important. But they don't, they tend not to be a catalyst for changing how one thinks of themselves and their lives. And that's what really empowers people and motivates people to go through the, the difficult challenge of getting an education, of improving themselves. Um, most of our students do not go on necessarily to study the humanities. They become economists or um, lawyers or one student has become a social worker, but they, the catalyst for that was a, an examination of their lives brought about through their study of writing and literature and American history and so forth. And you write, uh, humanities aren't peripheral to an education, they are its heart, for the reasons that you've been uh, stating. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to have you uh, give another example that you give in the book of uh, how humanities can change people's views of themselves and also of others, connect to themselves and connect to others. Uh, the example that I want to have you talk about is your uh, presenting to your classes Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Uh, which is a, a very powerful experience uh, I, I could see for, for classes. And we'll talk much more about the book, Hope, Heart, and the Humanities, How a Free College Course is Changing Lives. We're talking about the Venture Course uh, here in Utah based on the Clemente courses. Uh, and Jean Cheney is one of the authors. Uh, she is joining us. You can join this conversation if you'd like by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau presenting Living History at the American West Heritage Center featuring mountain men, pioneers, and turn-of-the-century farmers. Activities include pony rides, tomahawk throwing, and ragdoll making. Information available at explorelogan.com. My name is Nick Alvarado. I am from Fort Worth, Texas. My career afforded me the opportunity to travel to many countries around the world. A universal observation for anyone traveling is how a smile or saying hello and thank you in your host country's language will often open many doors and often make that first impression of an American visitor a positive one. I was taught a smile, a polite nod of my head, or a kind word will open so many more doors than a frown look of indifference, or angry words directed at someone. Treat everyone as you would like them to treat you. 
Learning Life's Lessons on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU University Inn and Conference Center Summer Citizens Program, celebrating 40 years of living and learning at the top of Utah. Information at summercitizens.usu.edu. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, the science of handwriting. We found in our studies that laptop note-takers did significantly worse than students who took notes longhand. And is the pro-handwriting movement the sinister position of big pencil and pen? When you read studies about cursive, look to see who funds those. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Join us this morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. There's a new book out from University of Utah Press called Hope, Heart, and the Humanities, How a Free College Course is Changing Lives. And we're talking about the how Venture, it's the Venture Course or Venture, a free interdisciplinary college humanities course inspired by the National Clemente Course. And uh, authors and editors include Bridget Newell, Jeff Metcalf, Hikmet uh, Sidney Lowe, Jackson Newell. We're talking with uh, Gene Cheney who's former Associate Director of Utah Humanities. Uh, and you're welcome to join this conversation at 800-826-1495 or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You write in the book, Gene Cheney, that this has been, become a, a, a nice, I guess, fellowship of instructors as you've uh, developed the course uh, over time. I just want to put in a plug for uh, Jeff Metcalf's wonderful book, Requiem for the Living. Interviewed him on that uh, very impactful book. Um, Beautiful book. Uh, so, uh, as I re- made reference to before the break, um, you teach Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, and I, I imagine a lot of white kids uh, or you know white students in in that in that room, and this uh, I guess may be very valuable for them to face up to these very visceral descriptions of racism. Indeed. Um... The section that I teach, it's a long novel, and we can't cover the whole novel, but I teach the section called Battle Royale, and it is a very difficult um, passage to read because it's a passage that talks about racism that's not only violence to the black bodies of, of these young men, but to their spirits, and it's the, the joy that um, a group of white men have in demeaning uh, these young men, the young black men, is, is portrayed, and, and the destruction of their hope. And I think when students read it, because it gets on a gut level, um, they understand racism in a whole new way. They understand its destructiveness um, way apart from, you know, what they might read in the, the story of the civil rights movement. They understand it also because it's a uh, told from the point of view of a young young boy, a boy in high school about to go to college or trying to go to college. Um, our young students, not all of our students are young, but our young students really identify with it. And most of our students are white, but uh, many of them have experienced um, uh, oppression. And um, we have a lot of Latino students, and they have experienced oppression. So they understand what it's like to be demeaned by the color of your skin or your religion or the way you speak. Um, 
so it, our discussions of Battle Royale are, they're often difficult, but they really, um, they, they go to places that are beyond the, the mind. That's one reason why we wanted to put the heart in that title, because there are emotional connections that people make that change them. And for us to think that ed- education is primarily of the head um, is just wrong, because that's not how we change, or it's not only how we change. We change when our hearts are changed also. Mm-hmm. And Al- Ellison is such a powerful writer, and most in the class have never heard of him before. And when they read that, they they understand racism in a whole new way. I never read it uh, without feeling it all over again. Just uh, parenthetically, uh, reading from the book, uh, you, you talk about the essayists you love. So some of these names are very familiar. Emerson, Thoreau, Twain, Orwell, Baldwin, Rodriguez. You, uh, you list uh, Ansal Dua. I'm not familiar with that writer. Oh, she she writes um, a lot about being a Latina and also about language. She talks about the uh, her growing up and being forced to n- not only learn English that that that's not the problem. It's to never use Spanish and never um, be connected to her culture through her language. So. I, the students in the class, many of them are bilingual. Some of them are trilingual. And I like using Azadua's um, writing because it, it connects with students who have um, felt that it's somehow less to speak or to know Spanish and to read Spanish. And, um, of course, that's not true. And I, I think that um, students who develop pride in their culture, develop pride in themselves. And I think we develop a false uh, choice when we say, well, you, if you come to America, you must only learn English and you must only embrace American culture. I, that's not consistent with our history. We've, our Im- immigrants have always um, had one foot in their, their prior culture, their home culture, their ancestral culture. And we talk a lot about the importance of pride in culture, and as well as developing pride in their their new adopted land. So that's one reason I include her. I want to read this uh, from this is Maria Juarez uh, Venture Graduation Speech, uh, two thousand seven, uh, and uh, Maria says there is truth in the statement. It's important in life to know when your cue comes. But it's more important to have the courage to create your own cues to improve your job prospects or make your neighborhood a better place. The sooner you accept that truth, the sooner you accept responsibility for your life. It's very well, very well done. Um, who who are your students? Oh wow! Um, first of all, they're all adults. They they have to be eighteen to be in the course, and most of them, the average age is thirty three. So most are in their late twenties, thirties. We've had students as as old as in their sixties. Most of them um, have never stepped foot in a in a college classroom. They are poor by um, federal government standards. They are um, curious. They have very active minds. They're very intelligent. Um, we tend to attract students who are hardworking and have. Some of them are refugees. 
Some of them have experienced war. Many have had experienced war, actually, in the last few years. We have had a number of students from the Middle East. Um, as I said, refugees, immigrants. Um, some have grown up in Utah, but just never had the chance to have a good education. So there, it's all over the map, all over the map. And until recently, most of them have been women, not because we have privileged women in the application process, but because they just, I, we've attracted more women. Lately, we've, we've had more men in the class, and we really have enjoyed that because I think a gender balance is makes for a stronger class. But, um, yeah, they, they have just tremendous diversity in venture classes and some of the, the very finest people I've ever met. Uh, near the end of the book, you uh, tell some stories of some of the students. I, th- I think that's very good to illustrate the, what the program uh, can do and what the, the extraordinary people that these students are. I wonder if you tell me about Steve. Talking about. Oh, yes. Um, Steve came to us with a, just tremendous skills. I, I, I taught the writing section, and he, again, was one of the best writers. And I sort of wondered, how did he end up homeless? Um, what happened? And soon he told his story. He grew up in the Watts section of Los Angeles. He was the second child, the second brother. His older brother was very light-skinned. He was dark-skinned, a Latino family. And bigotry operated in his family as cruelly as it did in the larger world. Um, His older, lighter-skinned brother was favored. He could do no wrong, um, and Steve could do no right. And so... As kids will do, they live up to their reputation, and he was a bad kid, um, quote, bad kid, and never did very well in school, not because he couldn't. Um, he was recognized as being very bright, but he, he just didn't particularly want to try to achieve because his brother got all the accolades. So when we met him, he had been he had, had some success in his life and then a lot of failure, and he entered venture, um, hopeful, a little cocky, and then he read the poem by Mary Oliver called The Journey. And if your listeners don't know that poem, I recommend it to them. They can find it. It's pretty widely anthologized. Um, and his, his life changed because he recognized why, when he was very young, his mother left the family. Um, an event that had had a profound impact on him. And he came to understand that in a much different way. And when I confronted him, I said, Steve, really? One poem? You didn't understand it before, and now you do? And he said, believe me, Mary Oliver changed my life. So again, I have to, I have to believe in, in what our students tell us, and that's what happened to Steve. Um, he went on to... Uh, he didn't go to college, but he he started a job and did very well, married, and he would come to graduation long after he graduated when he didn't know anybody in the course. And he would say, I just want to come. I just want to be around these people and tell them what a great thing they've done. Mm-hmm. There, there are three people you uh, end the book with. One is, another one is Barbara. You've told her story. Why don't you tell us about Marcos? Oh, Marcos, um, he was one of our younger students, and he came in, uh, again, pretty full of himself, um, but he was homeless, and he 
it, the the being full of himself was was just a front, and inside he was he was pretty scared. And one day after after class, he came up to me and he said, um, "How can I continue doing what's happening in this class outside of class?" And since he was often joking in class, I you know I kind of wondered, hmm, what are you asking me? And he said, "I just don't want to lose this." And I realized he was deadly serious. And I said, you can. You can continue this in every phase of your life. What he was referring to was critical thinking. He wanted to continue questioning and coming up with his own answers. And he said he wanted to be a father someday. And I said, you can by all means use this as a parent. I don't know if my words um, assured him, but I was very much struck by how how he realized what was happening in his own mind. And he, he sort of could feel something shifting, and he didn't want to lose it. And I don't know if my assurances, um, or rather, I don't know if he really was able to continue the critical thinking, but my guess is that he was. He was young and um, had, had a profound experience. And like all of us, when we've had a profound experience, we don't go back once the bell is struck, it can't be unstruck. And uh, you write, um, Steve, Marcos, and Barbara all had sudden realizations in the venture course that they were free to choose a different future than the one they had believed was theirs. That's very powerful. That's exactly right. That That's what, again, they have taught us. We, we didn't go into this course. Not, none of the other four writers and teachers and I went into this course expecting that. I'm not sure what we expected. I think we just expected to enrich their lives, you know, that, that phrase that we use. But um, they showed us that, no, 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 this is so much more than that. This is profound change. I'm, I'm just not the same person. And so it, it comes from them. It comes from them and the interaction with the humanities, which, by the way, I want to put a plug in here for Utah Humanities, because this is what we do. This is what that organization does throughout Utah, is championing the humanities for everyone and the profound, profound impact it can have on our lives. And I also want to say that Congress is um, supporting the retention of the National Endowment for the Humanities. So I don't think it's going to go away. Mm. One of the advantages of you know Utah Humanities, public radio, for example, is our constituents uh, tend to be very connected, and uh, members of Congress do get flooded with uh, emails and calls and letters. Uh, right, right. Uh, when right. when these things are, are threatened, but uh, you you never know. Uh, it's uh, you know the, nope. the the danger is real. Um, want to uh, treat uh, Jackson Newell's chapter, American History. Uh, he he talks about uh, teaching as a preparation for democracy, and I think we're we're all getting a lesson in that, the importance of norms under the uh, the uh, Trump administration. Um, but before we get to that, we'll get to that after the break. Uh, just uh, before we go to break, I want to read this from uh, Jackson Newell. He says, while middle-class students often despair about their world, venture students tend to see promise. That was interesting to me, coming from a different perspective. And we'll take a break and uh, come back. Programming a 
on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau presenting the Cache Valley Foodie Trek, access to the National Forest, and live theater opportunities. More information available online at explorelogan.com. The state of Michigan is being sued because the schools in Detroit have been failing its kids. We had teachers who didn't really understand the subject, so we weren't learning anything throughout the whole school year. I'm Kai Rizdal, the economics of education, reading, writing, arithmetic, and poverty. Next time on Marketplace. Join us tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. Next time on Ask Me Another, we have Andy Carl from the Tony-nominated Broadway musical Groundhog Day. And Andy shares his strategy for performing while injured. And I acted my face off. Yeah. Because I didn't want them looking at my leg. (laughs) Join me, Ophira Eisenberg, on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Join us Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U. Tom Tom Williams. Uh, the book we're talking about today is Hope, Heart, and the Humanities, How a Free College Course is Changing Lives. It's out from University of Utah Press. And we're talking about Venture in Utah. It's a free interdisciplinary college humanities course inspired by the National Clemente Course. And we're talking with uh, one of the authors, Gene Cheney, who is a former associate director of Utah Humanities and a current uh, adjunct faculty at Westminster uh, College. Um, Gene Cheney, I want to uh, begin this segment uh, talking about uh, Jackson Newell's um, chapter on uh, teaching American history. And for those of you who don't know Jackson Newell, he's a former dean of liberal education at the University of Utah and uh, former president of Deep Springs College, liberal arts, uh, very interesting liberal arts uh, college in uh, California. Uh, Ross Peterson here at USU is a former co- president out there as well. Um so this is what I just want to read this uh, passage. That's what Jackson Newell writes. Um, Under our watch in your time, he says, I challenge my students, will the revolution progress toward its ultimate realization, or will you and I let hard-won advances in human rights and democratic institutions slip sadly away? And then he, uh, then he uh, says that his student Angelina responds instantly. She says, until now, I didn't have a clue how grand the founding ideals were, how awful our record has been in living up to many of them. But I feel driven to make America's experiment in democracy work. God help us if we fail. Her sentiment draws approving nods from around the room. Then Jessica asks in earnest intent, yeah, but what can we do? Seriously. Inspired by her prompt, we're off to a well-grounded discussion. Yeah, that's quintessential Jack Newell. <laughs> and they they study they study primary documents. They don't study textbooks. They they go right to the documents, I believe. Absolutely. In fact, Jack carries with him always a pocket version of our Constitution, and makes reference to it often during class. Has the students study it? They study the Declaration of Independence. Um, they study the Declaration from Seneca Falls during the very early suffragist movement, um, read Letter from Birmingham Jail uh, during the Civil Rights era. That's a, actually a, a text that we read, and I use it in writing, and we use it in philosophy. So, yes, primary document, 
And Jack really looks at the course as a way of making sure students understand that idea that uh, America is an idea. We're not united by a people in the sense that we have shared um, backgrounds as the Japanese do, for example. Uh, we have we come from everywhere, and but we're united by an idea, the founding idea and ideals. And those ideas and ideals have been betrayed and enacted and lived up to and then and then not over the course of our history. And so seeing American history seen through that lens becomes very interesting to students. Yeah. They um, start understanding their own time in a different way and their obligation to their own time. Jack has students write to their representative. He, first of all, he has them identify who their, their state representative and then their federal representatives are and their contact information, information he also carries on his, in his phone. And he has them write letters about an issue that's important to them. Um, he has them visit the Capitol during the course, uh, a lesson that the, the state Capitol, a lesson that they never forget that watching what happens there and what does not happen there sometimes. Um, so it's American history as they have not encountered before. And I, I want to say here, too, that Venture is taught and has been taught by the five of us, but it is also being taught at, in um, Cedar City through SUU with a faculty down there and in Ogden through Weber State through a faculty there. So every history teacher teaches in Venture, teaches it slightly differently, but in a similar way to what Jack started. Mm. And I'm very grateful to Jack for... Uh, framing and conceiving the course in the way that he has, because I think it's perfect for the venture, the purpose of venture. I want to read this this paragraph uh, illustrating the how extraordinary these students are. What what an experience this must be for immigrants, refugees coming to you know American ideals, and then learning how we've often failed to live up the ideals, but hopefully we are we're still trying. Uh, I'll just read this, quoting Jackson Newell. Ashaki, for instance, has survived the terrors of genocide in Africa, the privations of refugee camps, and the challenge of starting anew in a culture utterly baffling to her. She spoke no English before arriving in Salt Lake City. One of Ashaki's classmates almost missed class one evening because all four tires in her old van had been slashed. The story of her self-liberation from a southern Utah polygamous community had appeared in the city newspapers that morning. While such experiences destroy many, some, like these students, somehow endure. They're the exceptions that, by teaching American history honestly, I dream of making the norm. Yes, oh, this beautiful passage. Um, yeah, I, you know, the question that you started with, or the statement you started with, that our students are actually quite optimistic, it's partly because of what they've seen. And because they've seen such difficult, sometimes tragic, violent um, incidents, and have experienced them in their own families, have lost family members to violence, the violence of war. They take more hope, perhaps, than most of us in America as offering something very different, the possibility of something very different. Um, but what Jack emphasizes is that, yes, America is founded on ideals that are precious, but it is only through all of our vigilance that those ideals can be um, 
kept, can be maintained, can be realized. And that if we go to sleep or if we just think that someone else will take care of it, um, we, we, our democracy is in jeopardy. And he has been teaching this for a long time, and I think a lot of people um, are keenly aware of it now. If you just joined us, we're talking with Gene Cheney, former Associate Director of Utah Humanities, one of the authors for this book, Heart, uh, Hope, Heart, and the Humanities, How a Free College Course is Changing Lives. And we're talking about Venture. It's a free interdisciplinary college humanities course uh, inspired by the National uh, Clemente course. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about logistics. You talked earlier in in the book about uh, how you're inspired by this Clemente course. You come back, you try to think about how you can do this, but as with most things, uh, you got to have a budget for that. And you, and you did get a, a an angel investor and connected you up with funding. Uh, how do you, how do you fund this going you know uh, going forward? With a lot of support from our friends, this is a partnership, and every place that Venture is offered, as I mentioned, in Salt Lake City and Ogden and in Cedar City, we can only do it through an, a partnership between Utah Humanities and an academic institution of higher learning, and with support from nonprofit organizations—excuse me, from um, charitable organizations, foundations, um, banks lots of different sources. You can go on our website to get more details at utahhumanities.org. But um, it is very much a community partnership. We can't do it alone. But a lot of people have come to see the value of it, and um, so we've fortunately been successful in finding support for it. Although I should say that the, the Salt Lake course is on hiatus this year for the first time in 13 years, um, because of fu- funding challenges. And we're very much hoping that Westminster College, who has been our academic partner for venture, um, will get through that, and uh, either through a development of a new partnership or maybe a multi-partnership um, with other institutions, we can uh, reinstate the venture course in Salt Lake. But uh, right now it's continuing in Ogden and in Cedar City, and in fact, in Ephraim, there is hope that we can begin a venture course through Snow College in, in Ephraim. Mm-hmm. What do the students, uh, some of them, I think, do go on to college? Yes, and a number of them do. And one thing we, we've, di- we've discovered, it's been very, very difficult to track this, unfortunately, because funders always want to know, well, what's the return on investment here? What, what, what changes have happened in students' lives? And we lose track of students. Through, for a variety of reasons. Many of them are transient. They're, they don't have permanent jobs when they start the course, and sometimes um, their lives change and we lose touch with them. But what we're, we discovered over the years is that even if they don't go to college right away, many of them go later. And in fact, it, it's documented in the book, we lost track of one student who had to drop out of the course um, well, we've come to find out he sends us an email saying, guess what, I just graduated from college with a business degree. So it's hard for us to know how many do go on. We estimate somewhere between a quarter and a third go on and complete college. Um, many more take college courses that help them get better jobs and more secure lives. But it's, it's very hard to track. Um, we go a lot on the testimonials from students on the changes that they notice in their lives. 
And I should say that a large part of that change is in their families. Parents tell us that they're, they feel like they're better parents. They start reading to their children more. And their children are inspired by watching mom or dad become a college student. And we've had students tell us, well, my, my um, high school student now wants to go to college. And that hadn't been on their horizon before. Mm. So lots of ways the course impacts students. Mm. Is, there, uh, is there a student that's especially stood out to you over these years? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the students that I wrote about probably are the ones that stood out the most. But another student that is not written about too much in the course, is, is her name is Robin. And she took the course um, as a breast cancer survivor and as a survivor of um, oh a lot of trauma in her life. And she was she, she became a class leader in the class. She's an African American woman. She she just took leadership of the class of the course and the class, and went on to uh, go to Westminster College. Graduated with honors from Westminster College. Went on to graduate school and is now in graduate school earning a social work degree. So watching her journey and and having her um, say that were it not for venture, she would have never had the optimism and belief in herself that this particular journey that she embarked on required um, was very, very inspiring. And she's just a, just a beautiful human being. Mm. And um, the, the idea that venture could have brought that, that beauty and that wonderful spirit more into the world is, was just extremely gratifying. We just have a couple of minutes left. I want to bring this back to humanities. This is near the end of the book. You write, the greatest impact the course has had in Utah may be in demonstrating just how important the humanities are to all of us. The humanities should never be regarded as education only for the elite or a luxury only the wealthy can afford. In The Working Poor, David Shipler comments that when the poor or the nearly poor are asked to define poverty, they talk not about what's in the wallet, but what's in the mind or the heart. That's a profound statement. Absolutely. It was, it's proven by the venture course, I think. Um, not to say that what's in the wallet is not important. They're, they're interrelated. When you're constantly worried about how to pay the rent or how to feed your family, it's very difficult to engage in philosophical thinking. But the catalyst for wanting to get out of, that, of your situation and, and finding ways out um, is often through philosophical thinking. And that's what the Course has taught us, is that, the, again, to, to circle back, this is the most practical education. This is what changes lives. And it, it should not be thought of as somehow separate or as, um, you know, cocktail party conversation to talk about Socrates. No, Socrates can empower you to take control of who you are and what you want to be. And that's really what the course has taught us. Um, it's, I wish I could talk to every state legislator and say, you know, look at the people who succeed and ask them, what course has really made a difference to you? It probably is not computer science. It's not calculus. It's, it's not bio, biology. It's probably a course in the humanities that allowed you to become a great scientist or a, a you know, a bank president, but 
began with um, Corset that treats fundamental ideas, which is what the humanities do. Well, the book is Hope, Heart, and the Humanities, How a Free College Course is Changing Lives. We're talking about the Venture Course. It's uh, inspired by the National Clemente Course, and we've been talking with one of the authors, Gene Cheney, former Associate Director of Utah Humanities. Uh, finally, Gene Cheney, if uh, somebody's interested in learning more about the course, maybe interested in helping out, uh, where to go? Go to our website, Utah Humanities website, utahhumanities.org. Also, um, your listeners might be interested in the national organization, the Clemente Course. They're, they also have a website, clementecourse.org. I believe that's the, the address. If not, it's clemente.org. Um, they can find a lot Googling. Lot, lot, lots been written about the course um, nationally. And in Utah, yeah, we're, we're the networking organization that through partnerships around the state, we're trying to grow this effort. Okay, Gene Cheney, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll explore the hip and sophisticated music of Spain today, from the Catalonian coast to the Galician mountains and into the clubs of Madrid and Barcelona. La curva. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join me for Spotlight on Spain, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. KUSR Logan.